Now, before we get started tonight, I'm just going to give you a little heads up. What we're going to look at tonight in Matthew chapter 12, verses 12, uh, sorry, 15 through 21, is going to go 180 degrees the opposite direction of what you've been taught in the church and what the church is doing today. So I'm just going to give you that heads up now. My prayer is that the Spirit of God would help you to see these things and the Word of God would be able to be used of God to help you. This could be life transforming for churches around the world, especially in America, if they would really grasp these truths we're going to look at tonight. And like I said, I have known these things a little bit over the years. It's one of the things I kind of teach when I travel around the country and help churches get woke back up and what it means to walk with God and follow him. But I was even surprised. I was blown away by how much what we're going to see Jesus did tonight in this section, how much he did it and how it went against everything that we do. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. <clears throat> it says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this passage and break it down. As you see as we get started, it says that Jesus was aware of something. What was he aware of? Look at the previous verse. <clears throat> look at verse 14. What was Jesus aware of? How the Pharisees were trying to destroy him. They were plotting to kill him. So it says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Now I'm going to ask you a question. If Jesus was aware of the fact that the Pharisees were planning to kill him and he withdrew, was that because he was afraid? No. 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 It's very clear from Scripture that that is not the case. Because go to John chapter 19. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In John chapter 19, look at verses 10 and 11. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate said to Jesus, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So as Jesus is standing before Pilate, Pilate's pretty much threatening him. He said, don't you realize I have the authority to have you put to death or the authority to have you released? Aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to speak to me when I want you to speak to me? And Jesus' response is very common. He said, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless the Father gave it to you. Go back to John chapter 10. <clears throat> In John chapter 10, look at verses 11 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd." For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Look again look closely at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So here again, we see Jesus wasn't afraid. He stood before Pilate unafraid. He even said, nobody takes my life. I'm not worried about them killing me. I'm going to lay it down. When it's time, I'll lay it down, and it's my control of laying it down and raising it up. Jump over one chapter to chapter 11. Look at verses 5 through 16. <clears throat> it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover and let him rest. It's good for him. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So here Jesus now is heading back to the area where they were trying to kill him. And the disciples are like, why do you want to go back there? They were trying to kill you in there. The disciples were afraid. But Jesus said, look, we're supposed to do what the Father says when it's light. In other words, we're to, we're to walk when there's daytime. And I'm doing this because it's what the Father is telling me to do. So Jesus was not afraid. We know that he wasn't afraid. So go back to Matthew chapter 12. We have to ask this question then. Why does Jesus withdraw from there? When he knew they were plotting to kill him, there's now, by the way, the answer to that question is so many has so many answers and so many levels. We couldn't answer them all tonight, but we're only going to get our answer to that question from our passage. There's a couple of things that we see here in Matthew chapter 12, especially in verses 16 and 17. And they're going to we're going to get our answer from there. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Verse 16 says that as Jesus healed people, he ordered them not to make him known. That's interesting. That's tied to why he withdrew. You're going to see that in a little bit. <clears throat> but he would heal a lot. He healed these people and he ordered them not to make him known. Now, here's where we're going to go for a little while. I did a little study. I love to do that. I don't know if you've ever done this or not. When you're studying the scriptures, do you ever try to do a little cross-referencing of a passage or a word? I was blown away by how many times Jesus did something and said, don't tell anyone. Now, I've known he's done it. We've even talked about it a little bit in our study of Matthew. But it began to blow my mind how much he did it. I'm actually going to be showing you nine places that he did it. And that's not all of them. Go with me real quick to Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 4. When he, this is Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So here Jesus heals this man. He says, don't tell anybody. Just go show yourself to the priest. Go to Matthew chapter 9, look at verses 27 and following. Matthew 9, starting in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and he said, Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. By the way, you're going to see in just a little bit, this is not Jesus saying, don't tell anybody by using reverse psychology. He wasn't thinking to himself, if I tell them not to, they'll do it. And I want them to do it. He really didn't want them to do it. But man has the ability to say yes or no. By the way, there's people in Christianity out there that will say, that man has no ability to say yes or no to God. If God draws you, you're going to be saved. You have no choice. But the Bible shows us very clearly that all of creation instantly must obey when Jesus speaks. He cursed the fig tree. It withered. Commanded the wind and the waves to be still. They did. He commanded the demons to come out. They did. But we see lots of instances where he commands them, don't tell anyone. And what do they do? They do it anyway. Man has the ability to say yes or no to the Lord. But again, don't miss this. Jesus does this miracle, and he tells these two guys, don't tell anyone. Go to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 17. We've already seen Matthew 12. Go to Matthew 17, and just look at verse 9. <clears throat> this is after his transfiguration on the mount. And in verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, wouldn't you and I think that it would be a pretty powerful thing to be sharing with people before he died, telling people, look, we saw his glory. We saw he's God. I mean, check it out. This happened. But Jesus says, you can't tell anybody what you just saw until after I've risen from the dead. Oh, he's not even close to done. Go to Mark chapter 1. 
In Mark chapter 1, look at verses 32 through 34. Actually, let's go back up to verse 21 first. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with, and with authority. And he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So here the demons were coming out. And the demons were even saying, I mean, good grief. The demons are in the spiritual realm. They know who he really is. And the demons were saying, you're, you're the holy one. You're the holy one of God. And Jesus says, shut up. Be silent. Don't speak. Keep reading. Go down to verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick and with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Isn't that interesting? He didn't not permit them to speak because they didn't know him correctly. It wasn't like they had bad information. The reason he didn't let them speak is because they did know who he was. And yet Jesus is saying to them, you can't tell anybody. Go to Mark chapter 5. No, go to chapter 3 first. Go to chapter 3. Look at verses 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and the great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Here it is again. It's not the same instance, by the way. These are all in the Gospel of Mark. These are three separate instances. Go to chapter 5, verses 41 through 43. Mark 5, look at verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And they told and they told him to give. He told him to give something to eat. Now, if you know, this is the raising of uh, Jairus's daughter. And who was the only people allowed to see the healing of her raising from the dead, being raised from the dead? Mother and father and Peter, actually three, Peter, James and John. And then he says. You can't tell anybody what you just saw. Isn't that crazy? I mean, here we are trying to come up with ways to get the word out. And Jesus is doing the opposite. Stick with me. Go to Mark chapter 8. Look at verses 22 through 30. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by hand, and he led him out of the village. Isn't that interesting? He takes him away from the people. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. Don't go back and tell everybody. Just go home. Verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said to him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. We know from Matthew's account, Jesus says, hey, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. My father's opened your eyes. And then he says, don't tell anybody. Don't 
tell anybody. Why this type of behavior? Why is Jesus saying, don't tell anyone? Well, like I said, it's tied to why he withdrew. And it's also tied to verse 17. Go back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 17. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 17, the fact that he withdrew from the crowds and he ordered people not to make him known was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Part of the reason is because it was to fulfill prophecy. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 42. Look at what they say here. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 42. I want you to read it there as well. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 9. And I want you to put a finger or a bookmark in Isaiah 42 because we're going to flip flop back and forth in just a little bit. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 42. In Isaiah 42, this is the passage Matthew's quoting from in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things I have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. So Matthew says that he withdrew, aware of the fact they were trying to kill him. He withdrew. But then as he withdrew, crowds came and he healed them all. But then he ordered them all not to tell anybody. And this was to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah that the Messiah was not going to be this guy that was drawing large crowds by standing on the street corners and preaching. He was actually not going to, you're not going to hear him loudly in the streets. He's going to be very meek and he's going to be very mild. And I started to put together some things here, and I want to kind of share them with you a little bit here. Has anybody noticed how this goes against much of what we focus on in the church today? Jesus moved away from the crowds, right? Whenever the crowds were gathering, he'd go somewhere else. If you go back in your minds to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 and following, Jesus gets up early in the morning, goes off to pray. The disciples can't find him, and they, they find him, and they say, everyone's looking for you. And he says, let's go somewhere else. Come on, Jesus. I mean, everybody's here. You got a crowd here. A door is open for you. And he says, let's go somewhere else. Jesus avoided the crowds. When the crowds were pressing on him, he says to Peter, get me a boat so I can get away from him. I'll preach, but I'll, I'll get out on the shore. When the crowds are there and he's going to heal somebody, he took the person away from the crowds to do the miracle. Yet we in the church have been taught to draw the crowds. How can we get bigger crowds? How can we get more people here? By the way, as I go down this road, some of you are going to have a question that's going to come into your mind. Hang on to it. I'm going to answer it later on. Jesus did miracles and didn't advertise them. We advertise them and don't perform them. Jesus rested in the power of his word and the effectiveness of the spirit, as we saw last week. Remember last week's study? We looked at the, the effectiveness of the word, how it won't return void. It'll accomplish everything God has for it, how it's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, how it's able and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting. We looked last week at the power of the word of God and how most of us don't really believe in the power of the word of God. But Jesus rested in the power of his word and the effectiveness of the spirit so much so that he was able to just do what the Father told him to do, and he believed that the Word was going to do its work. We trust in the power of marketing companies and strategies. 
You'd be surprised, folks, how many pastors today and how many churches are spending money doing marketing strategies. Well, because we've been taught to draw the crowds. But Jesus didn't seek to draw the crowds. He actually went away from the crowds. But we've been taught to draw the crowds. It's opposite. You'd be amazed how many companies and how many churches today are using marketing strategies for fundraising and man's wisdom to try to accomplish and do more. And, and, and in our hearts and in our minds, I mean, come on, Jim, don't you think that we should do it this way? We're going to deal with some of that tonight. Go to John chapter 7 and look at verses 1 through 5. Now, folks, I know that what I'm sharing with you tonight goes against a lot of what we've been taught. And to be honest with you, with my background in Southern Baptist, there are people in the Southern Baptist Convention that love me and there's a lot that don't. Because Southern Baptists sometimes are kind of known for a one size fits all program. And we've got these strategies and we pass them all out and everybody's supposed to be doing the same program at the same time. And look at John chapter seven, verses one through five. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He wouldn't go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, and so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, hopefully you understand that at this point his brothers don't believe in him. Later on they do come to believe. The one who wrote the book of James is one of Jesus' brothers, half-brother I like to say, Jesus' father was the was heavenly father. Uh, James's father was Joseph. They both had the same mother, but different fathers. Blended family, there you go. But at the, not the first. But at the same time, you also have the book of Jude was also written by one of Jesus' half-brothers. But at this point, they don't believe in him. And look at what they say to him. They say, why are you doing all your stuff in secret? If you want to be known openly, if you seek to be known openly... Go show yourself. And Jesus said, no. And when he does finally go to this feast, how does he go? Do you know how he goes? Secretly. You go book at verse 10. After, the, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the people are even looking for him. Is he here? Where is he? We thought he'd be here. <clears throat> I don't want you to miss what was said back in Matthew 12 and Isaiah 42. Go back to Matthew 12. Because there's something here that's going to help us that you might have missed. Go back to Matthew 12 and look at verses 18 and 21. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the who? Gentiles. Look at verse 21. The end of verse 21, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. I told you to put a finger in Isaiah 42. Go back to Isaiah 42. Let's double check it. In Isaiah 42, look at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to who? The nations. That's the Gentiles. Look at verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice where? In the whole earth. And look at verse 8. I am the Lord. Sorry, verse 6. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for who? The nations against the Gentiles. Now, the, the prophecy said that he was going to be a light to the Gentiles. He's going to proclaim justice to the Gentiles. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. Stop. Didn't Jesus himself say that he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel? Yeah. By the way, if you don't know where he said that, go with me to Matthew 15 real quick. <clears throat> Jesus' own words are that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In Matthew 15, look at verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew. There it is again. Do you see that word? It keeps withdrawing. He withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you keep reading, 
she falls down before him and he turns and says, you know what, you have great faith. We'll break this passage down when we get to Matthew 15. So I'm not going to break this passage down tonight. But I don't want you to miss, Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So why does the prophecy say that he's going to be a light to the Gentiles and he's going to proclaim victory to the Gentiles when he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? Stick with me here. Here's where it starts to get fun. We think that we're supposed to come up with the big picture. When it comes to evangelizing and sharing the gospel, we think that we're to come up with a, a way to reach our neighborhoods. How are we going to reach Palm Bay with the gospel? How are we going to reach our section? How are we going to reach my street? And I'm going to show you from scripture that if you would just do what God's asked you to do, you will see God do through you stuff you didn't even imagine. As you only do what he's asked you to do, he will do things beyond that without you having to help him. Because as Jesus was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, God still used him to preach to the Gentiles. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Romans 15. <clears throat> Look at verses 8 and 9. Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. Did you catch that? Jesus was faithful to do only what the Father told him to do, and as he only went to the Jews, God still used him to reach the Gentiles. As he was just going to the Jews. Was he trying to go to the Gentiles? He was intentionally not going to the Gentiles because the Father was sending him only to the Jews. But as he went to the Jews, God was still using him in the lives of the Gentiles. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. We've already seen this in our study of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 10, look at verses 5 and 6. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We remember we sent it, when he sent out his, his apostles two by two, he said, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, only the lost sheep of Israel. Jump up to verses 16 through 20. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among, in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and who? The Gentiles. He says, look, I'm going to send you only to the Jews. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go only to the Jews. Oh, while you're out there going to the Jews, you're going to be preaching in their synagogues, and they're not going to like it. And they're going to have you arrested. They're going to have you flogged. And as you are taken and to be flogged, they're going to drag you before their governors. And you're going to be able to preach to the Gentiles. Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, but also was going to be a light to the Gentiles. Why? Listen closely. Because God has the big plan, not us. The big picture is God's. Would you not agree that it seems strange that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, didn't even really come on the scene to do his work? until thousands of years after the beginning of history. Yet the Bible says at the right time, he was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. God has the plan. Remember Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Yet what we've been taught is how to sit around and come up with strategies. How can we reach more young people? How can we reach more singles? How can we reach more senior adults? How can we reach our neighborhood? How can we make sure the gospel gets to the whole area of Palm Bay? And it sounds spiritual, it sounds godly, and it's not. Because that's God's work, and you will find through our rest of our study tonight that all he asks of us to do is just go where I tell you to go and you do what I tell you to do. I've got the big picture. You don't, and I never asked you to have the big picture. I don't need your help coming up with a strategy to reach people. You just be faithful to talk to the people I tell you to talk to, when I tell you to talk to, and how I tell you to talk to them, and I'll take care of everything else. I don't need you to come up with strategies. He can make a donkey talk to him or a rock. He can make a donkey or a rock talk, exactly. He doesn't need us. Now listen closely, though. Haven't we heard people say, if you've lived on your street for 20 years and you haven't knocked on every single door? What, I'm going to tell you that I believe that scripturally, and I can prove it to you, that I don't believe God would make you go to every door because he might not have you be the one who goes to every door. And you might even be working against God 
by trying to go to every door. Even in your heart, you're trying to be good. By the way, Paul understood this as well. You know, we've already laid this out many a time, that Paul was sent to who only? The Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Go to Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> Look at verses 13 and following. In Romans 11, verses 13 and 14. Actually, we've got to go back to verse 11. It'll help us. So I ask, did they stumble, meaning the Jews, in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through the, their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? By the way, we're going to answer that question on the cruise next week. But then Paul says in verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much that I and that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. I'm going to be faithful to go to the, the Gentiles, even though my heart is for the Jews. I'm going to do only what God's called me to do. But I also know that as I preach to the Gentiles, God's going to use my preaching to the Gentiles to accomplish his work in the Jews. Are we believing enough in the word of God and the sovereignty of God to accomplish his plan in his way without coming up with strategies to reach our, our world? Um, we've been taught, you know, when you see an open door, that's where you're to go to work. Let me let me give you a little what they used to say in Louisiana, some lanyap, some extra that's free. Go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 16. <clears throat> this isn't in my notes, so I'm not going to charge you for this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul says in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul says, man, I want to come see you. But right now, a wide door for effective service is opened here. And even though there's a lot of adversaries and a lot of opposition, I'm supposed to stay because God's opened a door for me here. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Same guy writing to the same people, a second letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. How about that? In chapter 16, he said there's a door open, wide door. The Lord's open and I'm supposed to stay. And there in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, he says, God opened a door, but I didn't have a peace about staying. Listen to me, folks. Are we supposed to just walk through every door that God's opened? I'm going to tell you no, and here's why. Is there not an open door for ministry right now at the Seafarers Ministry up at Cape Canaveral? Is there not also an open door for ministry at Pregnancy Resources? Isn't there also an open door for ministry in uh, Samaritan's Purse or uh, the, all the different ministries? Aren't there lots of open doors for ministry out there? But you know how to, have to know how to listen to the Spirit of God and go only where He wants you to go. The problem is we keep thinking God's impotent and he's not able to get his stuff done. We need to work harder. We need more workers. And we spend all our time saying, hurry up, do more, draw crowds, get more people. And I'm going to say to you the opposite, you do what he's asked you to do. You'll be held accountable, by the way. There's going to be a reckoning for each of us. Some are given five, some are two, some are ones, each according to their ability. None of us should think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but we all should think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that we've been given. If you go to stand before God and say, man, I was busting my family. I went here. I went there. I went here. I went there for you, Lord. And he's going to say, um, you went there. You went there. You went there. You didn't go where I wanted you to go. You don't have the full plan. He does. Stop coming up with strategies and goals that you have set and just do what he says and go where he sends you and leave the results to him. Now, here's the question some of you have probably been having, though. But, Jim, haven't things changed now? I mean, this is after the cross. This is after the resurrection. 
Didn't Jesus instruct his disciples after his resurrection to go out into all the world and make disciples? I mean, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is pretty clear. Go into all the world and make disciples. Didn't Jesus give us a command to go now and do it? And I'm going to tell you, the answer is nothing has changed. It isn't up to us now to go do his work. It's still the way it's always been. For example, let me give you an example. Number one, if it was up to us, why would Jesus say that all authority had been given to him? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and following, he starts off by saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then at the end, he says, and lo, I'm what? I'm with you always. Why would he say all authority had been given to him and that he would be with us if it was up to us now to go do it? No, no, no. It's still listening to him. In John chapter 17, verse 18, go to John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus prays in the garden right before the cross. He prays a very specific prayer, a very interesting prayer. <clears throat> in John 17, look at verse 18. Jesus says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Look at that again. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. No. So when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus has already prayed, Father, in the same way in which you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. Do you see it? Nothing's changed. The way and the manner in which Jesus did the ministry God called, God called him to do is the same way we're to be doing the ministry God called us to do. Go to John chapter 20. Excuse me, you're in John 17. Turn over to John 20. Look at verses 19 through 22. This is on that first day of the week that he rose from the dead. That evening, they're all in the upper room hiding. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On that, in the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that doesn't happen until Acts chapter 2. This is just simply Jesus breathing on them, the Holy Spirit coming upon them, kind of like in the Old Testament, the, old, the Spirit of God would come upon somebody to empower them to do. When Saul became uh, the king, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he began to prophesy and people started to say, is Saul one of the prophets? Whenever God would come upon someone in power, back then, if they walked in disobedience, he would remove his spirit from upon them. But remember how Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing? If you were to put together the gospel accounts, you'll see that this evening, that first night of, the, of his resurrection, in Luke's account, he tells them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit. This isn't the receiving of the Holy Spirit that was promised because he tells them that same night that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, wait now here in Jerusalem. Not many days from now, you're going to receive the promise of the Father. We know now from history and from the scriptures that it was 40 days that he appeared to his disciples and then he ascended. And 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, a total of 50 days after his resurrection is when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them. What Jesus did here was simply breathe on them and empower them to even be able to do what he needed them to do in the meantime. For example, could they even have waited in Jerusalem for 50 days unless he had breathed on them and given them the power to do it? No, we already saw how well they did without him in those three days that he was in the tomb, right? <clears throat> and if this was the receiving of the Holy Spirit, Thomas missed it. Because Thomas wasn't there that night. It was a week later that Thomas comes and sees and believes. So, what does he say to them that night, though? As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Nothing has changed. The same way in which Jesus did only what the Father had him do is how we're to be doing our ministry. Jesus didn't try to draw crowds. He didn't try to get bigger, bigger groups. 
He just did only what the Father had him to do. He knew that the Father was powerful enough to accomplish his will, even though he only went to this one. By the way, over the years, as I've tried to walk in the Spirit and be led of the Lord every day as to what I'm to do, and that's why we're to daily put our flesh on the altar and renew our minds, and we choose on a daily basis whether we're going to let the Spirit be in control. And that's why the Bible talks about put on Christ and put off the flesh. Every day when you get up, you, you make a choice on what you're going to wear, Right? As I look around the room, some of you didn't think about it too much, but that's okay. But what I, what I want you to say is you choose what you're going to wear. The Bible says spiritually we're to make that same choice on a daily basis. We're to choose whether we're going to walk in the flesh and do things in our own strength, or whether or not we're going to walk in the spirit and allow the Father to direct us. And over the years, as I've been learning to do this, many's the time that I know he's led me to go talk to somebody. By the way, there's lots of times that I want to talk to somebody. He's shown me stuff, but he says, don't talk to him about it. But Lord, you showed me something. And he'll say, yeah, I showed you so you can pray, but I never told you to say anything about it. And that was something I've had to learn over the years. And some of you have been gifted with intercessory prayer. And your spiritual gift is intercessory prayer. And God shows you things. You see things. I'm going to tell you, if you have that gift, don't tell anybody what he's shown you unless he makes you tell them. Don't just assume you're to tell them. If your gift is prayer, he wants you to pray about it and just leave it there. But as I've gone and met, made appointments with people that I know he led me to go talk to, I've been blown away by even though I thought I was to go talk to Joe or Susie or whoever it is, while we're sitting there having the conversation, it was somebody in the booth next to us that was listening that God used our conversation. It was really for them. It wasn't for the one I thought it was. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't want you to set goals and strategies. It sounds good. I'm going to tell you, just go where he wants you to go. By the way, <clears throat> have we not been taught that, well, go to Acts chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. Jesus is speaking to them and he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We know this verse. <clears throat> and we've been taught that just like a rock falls in a pond and the ripples get bigger and bigger and bigger. The gospel started in Jerusalem with the apostles preaching. And then eventually those apostles would start spreading it. And they'll tell people and they'll tell people. And pretty soon it'll get to the whole world. <coughs> Excuse me, You've already heard me blow that up. When Matthew says the gospel will be preached to the whole world, then the end will come, he's referring to the angel who's going to preach it at the end of the tribulation period. Actually, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 says, this gospel which has been preached in all creation. Romans chapter 10, right around verse 18 says, have they not heard? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth. But what Jesus is, we've been taught that Jesus was going to use these guys and eventually they were going to spread it to the whole world. If I were to ask without looking, can any of you tell me what Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says? That's okay. That's why I'm here. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 5. This is after the Holy Spirit falls on them. There's the mighty rushing wind. Fills everyone. It divides and comes, it rests upon everyone. And the Spirit indwells them. They begin to speak in other languages. And the Spirit gave them utterance. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. Do you see it? God had already brought into Jerusalem, and they're the ones who hear this sound and this commotion and the preaching. God had already bought, brought not just people from every nation on the earth, devout, godly Jews from every nation there to hear. So did God just use the apostles and they began to spread it? Or had God already brought people to hear it and he was going to use them probably to go back to their nations? Boy, his plan's bigger than we thought, isn't it? Stop trying to come up with a strategy to reach your neighborhood. It sounds like I'm, I'm a heretic. No, just do what he tells you to do and watch how God will accomplish his work. <clears throat> go to John chapter 5. Look at verses 19 and 20. 
Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. Remember, nothing's changed. As Jesus was sent into the world, so we're sent into the world. He hasn't given us a job, and he doesn't want us to sit in our boardrooms or in our council meetings or in our elder meetings coming up with a plan and a strategy. He already has it. And all he wants us to do is find out what he's asked us to do on a daily basis. Who would you have me speak to? Would you have me speak today? Maybe you want me to just pray today and not speak. Where would you have me go? And trust that he will accomplish his plan. Nothing has changed. <clears throat> go to John 12, verses 47 through 50. It's not generally but not big enough. It won't be empowered by him, and it's not of him. It's man. And whatever man does, we can measure. By the way, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me stop you for a second before we read John 12 and ask you a question. Why have we been taught to come up with a strategy to reach people? <clears throat> to see how well we're doing. To measure, our flesh wants credit so bad. You've heard me say over the years, we were all raised in the churches that had the plaques up on the wall. Remember, on each side, how many in Sunday school last week and how many in, in worship last Sunday. And in some of your churches, if they don't put what the offering was last Sunday, people will have a fit if they don't put that in the bulletin. So we've been taught to measure how we're doing. You know why? Because we want credit. We want to know the plan. We want to look at what we did, Lord. Look at what we did. We came up with a strategy to reach Palm Bay. And now we've hit every single house. And that sounds so good. But God says, that's not how I work. I will get my word out to everyone. But it's my plan, not yours. So as much as you're trying to be faithful and trying to be good workers and come up with a strategy to get the gospel to every house and it sounds real good, that's not how I work, according to the scriptures. Go to John 12, verses 47 through 50. <clears throat> if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, Jesus says, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Go to John 14. You're in John 12. Jump over to John 14. Not only did Jesus not only say what the Father told him to say, when Jesus said it or Jesus did it, Jesus didn't even say it or do it. Look at John 14, verses 8 through 10. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do, do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. <clears throat> you remember Philippians 2.13 says it's God who works in us both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Folks, I know what I'm sharing with you goes against all we've been taught and all we've been measuring for years. Stop trying to reach your neighborhood and just do what God tells you to do. You go to who God tells you to go to. You still be a faithful servant. I'll show you what I mean by this. Uh, let's close with, with this tonight. We've got 10 minutes. I think we can do it. <clears throat> go to Acts chapter 16. You see, we see in the New Testament, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing who goes where and who goes when. We've already touched on that a little bit about how Paul wanted to go to the Jews real bad. He wanted to, he'd have died for the Jews, but the Spirit and the Father wouldn't let him do that. He had a plan for his life and he was to go to the Gentiles. <clears throat> go to Acts chapter 16, look at verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region. This is Paul and some of his buddies, Silas and others. Timothy's with them. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Hang on, stop for a second. Let that sink in. Didn't Jesus say, go into all the world and make disciples? <clears throat> Didn't you, haven't you ever read where Paul said, my heart's passion is to go where people haven't preached it yet? 
The word hadn't gone to Asia as far as he knew. So Jesus said, go. He's been called to the Gentiles. And he tried to go into Asia. But the Spirit wouldn't let him speak a word in Asia. Isn't it because the word's timeless? I mean, it may be talking to someone else. Well, that's one of the many reasons. Yes, the word is timeless and powerful. And, but you'll see in just a second. Stick with me. It gets really cool here. All right, I love the fact that Paul doesn't go sit home then and say, well, since he won't let us go into Asia, um, let's just sit here and wait until we get a word from the Lord. Where to go? No. Remember, he had already said go. But we're to be listening as we go. I don't want you to take this message and say, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, so I'm going to just sit home and be careful that I don't go to the wrong place. No. Go. Try to share it. But be listening as you go. The Spirit will show you when to speak, when, to, when not to speak. So you see in the next verse. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, <clears throat> they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to go into Bithynia. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging them and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so Paul tries to go into Asia. Spirit won't let him. Won't let him speak a word in Asia. They try to go into Mysia. Spirit won't let him. A little later on, he has a dream, a vision. A man in Macedonia comes in this dream and says, come preach the gospel here. They realize that's where God wants us to go, so they go. Now, I'm not going to read the next section, but if you know it, they get there, and they're looking for where God's at work. Remember, that's what he taught them. When you go into a town or a village, let your peace go out. If it's received, stay. If not, move on. So they don't know who yet and why and where he sent them to Macedonia. But they go looking for where God's already at work and people are responding. Remember, no one comes unless the Father draws them. They look for a place of prayer. They find a place of prayer down by the river, and it's mostly women. And the first convert in Europe is who? Lydia. Is she a man of Macedonia? Oh, be careful. We have a tendency sometimes to try to figure God out. I'm so glad Paul didn't say to Lydia, I'd love to talk to you, Lydia, but it was a man in my dream. By the way, the Bible said that she was a seller of purple. By the way, do you know what that means? She was very rich. To have purple back in that day was only for the royalty. And she's a seller of purple. She's got money and influence. And she, the Bible says she was from the city of Thyatira. Anybody want to take a wild guess where Thyatira is? It's in Asia. It's in Asia. Paul wants to go into Asia. And the Spirit says, I'm going to get you into Asia, Paul. But I'm going to do it my way. You're going to end up in Macedonia preaching. And you're going to have the first convert in Europe be a woman. And she's going to have influence. And she's going to be from Asia. And I'm going to use. That's why Jesus said, Go only to the priest, to this guy. That's why in the demoniac said, I want to go with you and go on tour. And Jesus had already said, blessed are those who leave their homes and the mothers and their fathers for my sake. Yet he tells the demoniac, I want you to go home and tell everybody what I've done in your home. And he went back to the capitalist. That's why he tells some, don't tell anybody just yet. Don't tell anybody just yet. Yet he doesn't stop the woman at the well from going back into the town and telling everybody. You see, we have a tendency to see one way in which he did it. <clears throat> and we want to tell everybody that's how you're to do it. But if we're faithful to the scriptures and we look at the scriptures, there is no formula. It's either being led of the Spirit or not being led of the Spirit. Paul, in one city, was dragged outside, stoned. They thought they killed him and left him for dead. Yet in another city, he sneaks out of the city in the basket, out a window and out the wall. So which is it? <clears throat> Are you supposed to always just stand there and take it and be killed if you're going to be killed? Or do you hide some other times? Well, if you remember Jesus... Sometimes withdrew, and other times he went back into Jerusalem. I want to challenge you folks. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't ask you to come up with a strategy or a plan. He's already got the plan. He's already got it all figured out. He's accomplishing his plan. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Stop trying to build his church and just be the person that God's called you to be. If you're to be a grandma, be a grandma. If you're to be a wife, be a wife. If you're to be a husband, be a husband. Be trying to share 
but listening as you go. Nothing has changed. Don't try to draw crowds. Just speak to the people God wants you to, and the ministry will grow. As we close, I will share with you, I have frustrated some people over the years, one of them even being my wife. She's like, Jim, did you pass out business cards when you were out there? I'm like, no, I forgot. Actually, I don't even want to. Well, how are you going to get your name out? God's going to take care of that. If someone asks me for a card, I'll give you one. I have them in my pocket sometimes. But I've learned over the years, I don't have to mark it. Do you notice we don't ask for money? We give it away. Yet God has financially blessed the ministry like you wouldn't believe. And folks, I want to tell you the same thing. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't want us to help him by going out there and getting the word out. Just do what he asked you to do and watch what he does. If you come up with a strategy and you try to accomplish the strategy and it's successful, at least in man's eyes, or let's just say God uses it, who's going to get the glory? Not God. Yes, because we're the ones that came up. We think we got the strategy. That's why he's always asking us to do stuff that doesn't make any sense to us. It seems backwards. It seems stupid. But when it happens, we'll know that it was him and not us. As a pastor over the years, one of the things God had me do was either really slow down or cancel the visitation program. I know that goes against everything we've been taught. I mean, you've got to have a Monday night visitation program or Tuesday night or whatever night of the week it was. <clears throat> but there were times that God told us just don't do the visitation program anymore on Tuesday nights. And we still visited. We still reached out. But we just let God tell individuals however he wanted them to do it. And we let them do it in that way. Years ago when I was pastor in Chicago, we got rid of the visitation program. And when we got rid of the Monday night visitation program, we actually started averaging 20 visitors a Sunday. But what we told the people were, was this. However God tells you to go reach out, you just do it however he tells you. One couple came and they said, we feel like God wants us. If we see a new couple or a family come to church, we want to go invite them to lunch and we'll treat. And that's what they did. Others loved, they would call the church and say, did anybody fill out a card that they visited? We'd like to send them a card or make a phone call. And then people did different things in different ways. And God started just bombing us. There was a young man in our church named Joe. Joe was a little bit different at times. And we had printed out little business cards that had the church's address and how to be saved on the other side. <clears throat> we passed them out to people and said, wherever God tells you to pass out a card, just whenever he tells you to do it. Well, Joe, Joe did things the way we wouldn't do it. He would go to Taco Bell and he would take those business cards and he would stick them in the sauces. You know, back when Taco Bell would have the big containers of sauces, hot, mild or whatever. Joe would stuff business cards in the sauces so that when people reached in, they'd grab a business card. Whereas like, Joe, don't do it. He also worked at a company there in Chicago, and he was the mailman. He actually delivered the mail to all the workers in the big company. As he drove his mail card, he would hand them their mail with a rubber band around it, and there would be a church business card in there with it. And we're like, Joe, you're going to get fired. <clears throat> one day, he was doing his mail route, and he stopped at this one young lady's desk. She was in her 20s. It was right about lunchtime, and he hands her her mail, and it has a business card on it. She takes it. She goes to lunch. What nobody knew was she had decided that she was going to kill herself that day at lunch. She was really low and depressed and didn't feel like she had a friend in the world, and she had decided she was going to kill herself at lunch that day. So she decides when she gets the business card that she's going to drive to this church parking lot and kill herself in this church parking lot. It's our church. So she drives to the parking lot. We don't know she's there. Nobody knows she's there. <clears throat> but she had a friend that had been witnessing to her for a while. And she calls her friend up and she says, I was just told today about a church, and I'm actually sitting in their parking lot. I know you go to church somewhere, but um, would you be willing to not go to your church this Sunday and go with me to a church that I think God wants me to go to this Sunday? The lady said, sure, I'll go. Whatever church you want me to go to, I'll go with you. She said, well, I'm sitting here in the parking lot of Brainerd Avenue Baptist Church. That's where I think God wants me to go Sunday. And that lady, the friend said, that's my church. That's where I go. And she got saved that Sunday as she came to church. And that's how we know her story. Problem is, I'm afraid to tell you that 
because you're going to want to go put cards in all the Taco Bell sauces and pass them out at your work. No, that's just what God had Joe do. What is he telling you to do? And even though we were like, Joe, don't do it. God used it. There's some people out there that are sharing the gospel in ways we don't feel comfortable. You know what? Let the Holy Spirit lead them and guide them. It's not our job to be the Holy Spirit. But are you doing what he's asked you to do? It's fun. It's fun. I love you. We'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks for coming.